you are listening to Just One of the Guys, where despite the lackluster nature of the comic, everything about the intro song is awesome. Another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted as always by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Neagle, and my job on the show is to cover the Green Lantern comics, specifically the ones starting with cover date June 1990 and ending with cover date November 2004. While I do it, I'm supposed to be putting a special emphasis on my favorite characters, Guy Gardner and Cowling. And we're continuing on our look at the Green Lantern books, as always, with Green Lantern number 169. Deep in the Ben Ray run, which is a very contentious run, which initially I was somewhat defending, and now I'm starting to see the cracks. Although this issue isn't really awful, there's some awful things going on in it, specifically with the secondary characters, mainly Jenny Lynn Hayden. But we'll get to that when we get to that. The good part about the story is we finally get a resolution with Kellogg and his whole Dark Lantern thing. And the aliens who have been tormenting him, which are basically demons from hell. Hence the wonderful song by Tegan and Sarah that you're hearing underneath this. But in trying to accentuate the positive in the book, there's some good art in there by Rick Burchett. There are some interesting fight scenes with Kyle. <sighs> yeah, I am kind of stretching. Maybe the ads this time out will be pretty good. We've got that to look forward to. And we've also got some promos coming up, which I'm going to be playing, as usual, for some shows that you definitely should be listening to. So, after we get done with the promos, we'll go ahead and head into our coverage, this time out, of Green Lantern number Listen to your man. Now listen to me. Now listen to your man. Now listen to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped downloading lame-ass podcasts and switched to Two True Freaks, he could learn to sound like me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on the Enterprise with a man your man could sound like. What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's a long box filled with comics that you love. Look again. The comics are now episodes. Anything is possible when your man listens to Two True Freaks and not lame-asses. I'm on a tauntaun. 
You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, host of the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun Podcast. The premise of my show is simple. I review a giant-sized comic from any era, from the front seat of my 2010 Corolla over my lunch hour at work. So if you're a fan of 80-page giants, king-size specials, 100-page super spectaculars, giant-size specials, annuals, double-sized issues, treasury comics, or anything else with an extra page count or an oversized format put out by Marvel or DC Comics, then tune into my show, King-Size Comics, Giant-Size Fun. A new episode drops at least once a week, sometimes more often. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, follow the blog at kingsizecomicsgiantsizefun.blogspot.com, or check out the podcast page on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. Whether it's a bone-chilling negative 15 degrees outside or a scorching 100 degrees, you'll catch me, your host, Kyle Benning, on a one-man mission to brave the elements and cover comics in my car on my lunch hour. And we are back. And since I've, well, I've decided to record this a little in advance because peek behind the scenes, I'm going on vacation soon, so I'm trying to get a backlog of episodes built up. So unfortunately, there are no emails this time out. I guess I can't expect Scott Davis to write in every week, especially when I do extra shows during the week. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into the comic. This is Green Lantern number 169. It was cover dated November 2003 and released on September 24th of 2003 with a cover price of 225 US and 375 in Canada. The title was In the Dark of Night. The writer was Benjamin Robb, the penciler was Rick Burchett, inker was Rodney Ramos, letterer was Kurt Hathaway, the colors and separations were by Moose Bowman, the assistant editor was Nache Castro, the editor was Bob Shrek, and the cover art was by Ariel Olivetti. At a space station diner, former Green Lanterns Ramuz, Shalander Thane, Vaz, and Brun discuss the tenacity of current Green Lantern Kyle Rayner and his attempt to reform the Corps. Shalander says that his feats are impressive, but not enough to convince her that he's ready to be the one to revamp the Green Lanterns. However, someone is there who does feel that his effort has been worthy, and that someone, a Green Lantern himself, feels that they should have a talk. 
Back on Oa, Kyle is busy supercharging his ring off the central power battery. Looking on, Liana and Ganthet wonder why Kyle is amping himself up so highly, and Kyle tells them that he is going on a do-or-die mission to bring back Kilowog from the Bolivaxian realm of the dead, occupied by the Zadi. In a gesture that is supposed to be supportive and not defeatist at all, Liana gives Kyle an Owen memory crystal, which Kyle can record his final thoughts on and have it delivered to his loved ones, particularly Jenny Lynn Hayden. Hoping he won't have to contact her via psychic space rock, Kyle and Gantt pop off to Sector 674 and the remains of the planet Bolovac's Vic. There, Gantt opens a portal into the Zadi realm, and Kyle rushes in to rescue his trapped friend. But upon entering, Kyle finds that his ring doesn't quite work the way it does in the real world, and the demonic Zadi blasts Kyle with their dragon-like flames. Meanwhile, on Earth at Radu's coffee shop, Jenny, Marin, and Radu are commenting on Terry Burke's talk show appearances and Kyle's lack of appearances. After commenting about Kyle's absence, Radu says that maybe a complimentary cup of coffee from Jenny's secret admirer would make her day. Marin thinks she should take up the offer of the blonde hottie, saying that Jenny should start living her own life. Cut to the Space Diner, where we learn that the Green Lantern is actually a construct of Raker Corrigan, the Green Lantern from the third 80-page giant set on Apocalypse, who tries to convince the former Lanterns of the veracity of Kyle wanting to take down the Black Circle. The Quartet asks Raker if Kyle is so special, why doesn't he just marry him? I, I mean, help him. He evades the question, but the background image of Darkseid gives a reasoning to his inability to assist Kyle. And as the construct of Raker disappears, the former Lanterns are left with the question of will they fight alongside Kyle? As well if they'll split some Galatean rice flies with Boz. Nice. Back in the Zadi dimension, Kyle is getting charbroiled by the beasties when he hands off his ring to Kilowog, who uses it in combination with his Dark Lantern powers to become Super Mega Dark Green Lantern Kilowog. Thing. And they both begin to lay some smackdown. Over on Earth at Radu's, Hunky McEmerald Fever is paying his bill when Jenny stops him and thanks him for the coffee, but says she's got a boyfriend and can't fulfill his desire to see if the carpet matches the drapes, if you know what I mean. But after a scolding from Rin, Jenny changes into her chain uniform and gives Hunky a construct readout of her phone number, which surprisingly isn't 8675309, because she's Jenny. You'd think Jenny would have that, but you, you, you get it. Back again in the Zadi dimension, Kilowog and Kyle are battling their way through the demonic hordes until the duo burst out of the dimension and slam the doors shut on the hellish fiends. Crisis averted and Kilowog naked in space with swirls of emerald energy covering his naughty bits, the trio head back to Oa and surprisingly find all four former lanterns ready to join in the fight to take down the Black Circle. Okay, now I'm starting to get a little irked with Ben Rabe, especially how he's handling Jenny in the book. And I guess I really shouldn't be surprised, seeing how he mishandled her in the Green Lantern Secret Files and Origin story. If you remember that, that was the one with the Jenny facing off against the sort of Shogun warrior robot and being all bitchy to Kyle. Michael Bradley and I covered that a while back. Anyhow, that was a horrible representation of Jenny, as is this. Having her give her number to some random guy at a coffee shop, 
just because she's not seen Kyle in a couple of weeks, belies her character and female characters in general. If you're truly in love with someone, and in a committed relationship, you do not go screwing around after a couple of weeks of them being away. Yes, it's not like Jenny went and bedded the guy, but this really is a betrayal of her relationship with Kyle, and makes me dislike some of the good parts of the book. <sighs> but even the good parts of the book were fewer than normal. The plot is just a rescue mission to save Kilowog, and the old corpsman saying that they'll come to help out. Not really a stellar issue. However, maybe I'll glean some interesting things by going page by page in the book. Starting with the cover, uh, well, it's very orange. I guess that's a thing. They've kind of limited it by making the Zoddy sort of background characters and blend into the orange. It does make Kilowog sort of pop out on the cover, but again, since Kilowog is in, is in, in his Dark Lantern getup, basically, it's hard to determine actually who this is, whether it's actually Kilowog or some sort of weird demon. If you're reading the book and don't have a history of what's been going on with Kilowog, you're not going to know what's going on in this cover. Page one, I'd like to rectify a mistake that I made about these characters, as I think a couple of issues ago I said that I only thought that a couple of them were Green Lanterns prior to this. Turns out that all of them were Green Lanterns prior to this, and I actually did a little digging and found out who they are. If you take a look at the second panel on page one, going from left to right, Ramuz is the purple scaly one, and he originated in that really awful Green Lantern bug story in Green Lantern Quarterly number two, the one with the spider aliens or the spider bugs with the Muppet faces. If you remember that, I pity you because I blocked it from my memory, which is why I probably didn't remember this character. After that, you've got the kind of gold skin, very glassy green eyed alien, and that's Shalandra Thane. She appeared in the last story of Green Lantern Corps Quarterly Number 1 about the planet that uh, was warring with each other and basically launched nuclear missiles at each other and destroyed each other before Shalanda Thrain could thwart that with her new Green Lantern ring. The next character is Brune. She's the female with the sort of horns on the side of her head. She appeared in Tales of the Green Lantern Corps Annual Number 3, which unfortunately I haven't gotten around to reading yet, and Vaz, the one that I did remember, I should have remembered, of course, because he first appeared in Guy Gardner number 11, the first part of the Yesterday Sin storyline, where Guy and a bunch of Green Lanterns were trapped by the weird aliens. What was their name? The Draw. The Draw, that was it. But yeah, that why I couldn't remember Vaz being from there, because that, that's one of my favorite Guy Gardner stories, so shame on me for forgetting that. Page two, I will give Ben Ray, or Ben Rob, I'll keep mispronouncing his name regardless, I will give him some credit for dredging up some obscure Green Lanterns, not only the characters on the previous page, but Raker Corrigat from the third Green Lantern 80-page giant. This is a rather obscure one as well, and although he's the Green Lantern who fought Apocalypse, I would think that even big Green Lantern fans, maybe even Chad Bokelman and Mark Marble, might not be able to pick this character out, you know, sight unseen. Maybe I'm wrong. Page 4. I wonder if the crystal that Liana is giving Kyle will play into anything in the future. It seems kind of creepy, though, to say, here, here's something to record your thoughts on in case you die. So, thanks, uh, 
little baby guardian who's grown up to be a stripper. I really appreciate the uh, gift you gave me. Page 5, am I reading too much into the entrance to the quote-unquote soul pit or the dimension that the Zadi are supposed to be inhabiting? Looking kind of diamond-shaped and possibly kind of akin to the entrance to a to a womanly area, if you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, think about that, and yeah, it's all kinds of creepy. And subtextual as well. Pages 6 through 8, and again, I'd like to just comment that I'm starting to see more frequently that the pages in these comics aren't numbered, so thanks, Dan DiDio, for taking away the numbering and making it harder for us podcasters to review these in a proper manner. But pages 6 through 8 is just a typical rescue-from-hell scenario. Kyle goes in, faces the demons, find out that his ring doesn't quite work the way he wanted it to, and basically gets burned for his troubles. Then pages 9 and 10, as we cut back to Earth, as much as I enjoy seeing the subplots with Kyle's extended family, you know, essentially Jenny and Marin here, I love having that kind of stuff, but the way Ben Rabe's writing her as a kind of jilted girlfriend-slash-lover, is something I'm really not enjoying in the book. This this is detracting from the characters and making me not want to see the extended family portions. I really don't have that much to say about the interaction between Raker and the rest of the Lanterns, so skipping over to pages 13 and 14, Kyle gives his ring to Kilowog, which now seems to work for Kilowog for some reason, but since he gave his ring to him, why is he not being burned alive by the flamey breath of the Zadi? I guess you could no-prize it and say it's because he still has a connection to the ring and the ring's keeping a force field around him, but still. Page 16. As Ginny goes out to give Hunky McEmerald Fever her, her ring construct phone number, she's changed to Jade, obviously. And unfortunately, Rick Burchett lets her give it to him with him looking very excited that he's giving it and Jenny having this sort of sly look of like, why don't you call me sometime and maybe we can hook up. Ugh, it's just no. No Ben Rabe. No Rick Burchett. This is not not the way you portray these characters. No. Bad writer. Bad. Bad. Page 20, we get the finalization of Kilowog being relieved from the Zadi realm, which is nice. And it's also nice that Kilowog, who's now naked, floating in space, which is problematic at most, has a bunch of emerald energy covering up where you would assume his naughty bits would be. So thank goodness for fake Green Lantern energy covering up your junk. Good on him. And then moving to the end of the book on page 22, I'm kind of thinking that the whole Black Circle storyline that we dealt with the crossover with Green Arrow and Green Lantern was essentially Ben Rabe's pitch to get his name on the Green Lantern book. It's interesting the idea of Kyle going after the Black Circle and giving him a focus and a specific enemy to go after, but all the ancillary things that are happening in the story are really starting to leave up bad taste in my mouth. I'm not liking the way that Jenny's being treated. Moren in the last issue was 
considered that, you know, the only job that she could get would be in the adult and in the adult entertainment industry. It's when Ben Rabe's writing in the story that's the sort of actiony bits, it's fine. When he's writing the interpersonal stuff, it really lacks. So if this goes on in the same sort of way, I might be able to understand why some people thought Ben Rabe's run really wasn't the best run you could have gotten on Green Lantern. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that it improves, but this is kind of a low point in the book. Still not issue 37 bad, but there are a few things that can be. Hopefully the ads in the book will cheer me up with some of their newness and addiness. Starting with the front and side cover, we'll get an advertisement for Final Fantasy Tactics. It's for the Game Boy Advance. Like I said, never played Final Fantasy, but I've heard it's an interesting role-playing game. Then we get an advertisement for the Blu-ray, or not Blu-ray, the DVD release of Smallville, as well as the next season of Smallville, which is coming out on the WB. Trentus Magnus will enjoy this. And like I said, Smallville was an interesting concept. There are its detractors, and there are its fans. Um, it was the longest-running Superman show ever in production, so there is that. Some people may say that since he never really took on the role of Superman until the end, it wasn't necessarily a Superman show, but a Clark show. But I think it has, it definitely has merit and shouldn't be dismissed as a TV show all out. After that, we get another advertisement for a WB show in Angel with the, I guess, the hunkiness of David Boreanaz and I don't know who that, James Masters as the, uh, two deadly vampire things. I never watched it. It was it was a Joss Whedon thing, and I just never got into Angel, and since I had no relationship with Buffy either, I never watched it. I've got the advertisement for the Alienware computer. We talked about that last time. Interesting-looking machine. After that, we get an advertisement for a game on the Xbox called Otagi Myth of Demons, which looks like a, just a sort of fighting game on the lines of God of War, where you're this demonic character who swings a staff around and kills demons, I guess. Never heard of this one. After that, we get the PlayStation 2 exclusive of Soul Calibur 2, and it's got a blade with an image of one of the guys from Soul Calibur on it. Uh, again, it's one of those games... Like uh, Mortal Kombat, except I think if it was 3D, you could actually move around in a ring. Probably more like Virtua Fighter then. The graphics look really good, especially for PlayStation 2 era. So if you're into these fighting games, I think this would probably be one of the higher rated ones. And then on the next page, you get an advertisement for the Namco, I guess, contest where you could win a Soul Calibur 2 video game itself. If you're uh, one of the entries that buys the Soul, Pal Soul Calibur game for the PlayStation or Xbox. So I guess it wasn't specific for the PlayStation. In the middle, you get an advertisement again for the Navy, and you also get an annoying sort of inset card that you can pull out to uh, send in information about the Navy. So there you go. After that, this is a kind of interesting ad. It says, Jive Turkeys Need Not Apply. It's the Starsky and Hutch video game. I think this is probably more based on the movie. Well, no, it looks more like the TV show. It's not based on the movie with, oh, what's the name? Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson. The animation looks kind of cell-shaded. 
but essentially the game looks more like a card driving type game, like maybe Driver or Carmageddon like that. They have an animated version of Huggy Bear, though, so a pimp in a, uh, in a uh, video game. That's unheard of. After that, you get an advertisement for Batman The Rise of Sin Sue, and it's uh, based off the stylings of the uh, Batman animated series. I can't remember whether this game was actually all that good or not. I want to say this was one of the better animated Batman games, much better than I think what Dark Tomorrow. I heard that was kind of a kind of a flop, but this looks interesting. It's a nice image, and they uh, highly tout that Sin Su was designed by comics legend Jim Lee. So there's a selling point there. After that, you get a weird advertisement for Juicy Fruit Gum with a sort of weird image of a graper melon. It's a hybrid of a grape and watermelon, which is the uh, new taste of Juicy Fruit Gum. So Juicy Fruit is not afraid of GMOs, everyone. Good on them. Then, wow, the advertisements are really new this time. We've got an advertisement for Space Colony, the first personality sim builder. Never heard of this game. It's by a group... Well, it's by Take-Two. I've heard of Take-Two, but uh, I guess you create your own alien person who essentially looks like a punk from the 1980s. So, very retro-futuristic, I guess. The next advertisement is for FX or F-Zero GX, which has a image of a Olympic sprinter with a couple of FX or F-Zero spaceships on it. I guess to give you the idea that these ships are supposed to be as fast as a Olympic sprinter. Sure. It's FX or it's F-Zero GX. It's flying spaceships down a path. It's, it's essentially Mario Kart without Mario. After that, you get an advertisement for the Sweepstakes Bionicle search for the seventh Toa. And I guess if you find out the uh, information that they're saying by translating the code with the uh, decryptor thing here, you could win a Bionicle bash at your house for you and ten friends, including awesome prizes like a Bionicle van visit, a large screen TV, and a DVD player. There you go. It's kind of neat if you enjoy Bionicle. Oh, ooh, this may be interesting. It's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer video game for the PlayStation 2. And if you know how well ports of TV shows or movies to video games are, you can be pretty much guaranteed that this was rushed together and ultimately horribly unplayable. I'll put my money on it. And oh yay, we get the tobacco is wacko if you're a teen ad, except this time it's not the you know, glass mosaic one, it's the sort of what I guess EC horror one where it's got the screaming girl with her hair all mussed out and the cigarette coming out of her mouth with the evil grin on it and the lit part of the cigarette. I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. You know, I think I've spent more time on the ads in this comic than I have for anything else. The next one is an advertisement for the Gravity Games. I think we talked about this last time. This is ABC's version of the X Games, or NBC's version of the X Games. ABC was partnered with uh, ESPN that actually hosted the X Games. Slim Jim and Sobe and Ticketmaster are behind it, so you know there's nothing evil related to that at all. 
The back inside cover is an advertisement for the new Game Boy Advance SP, which had the flip screen, and it's basically fire red, and the advertisement is the game engulfed in a burst of fire. That's interesting. And then the back outside cover is another advertisement for Soul Calibur 2, this time tempting you to buy the game because you can play Spawn. Yes, Todd McFarlane's Spawn in the game, which obviously would make the game better. Sure, why not? Actually, the advertisements made me like this comic a lot more, which is, I guess, not saying much for the comic itself or the story itself, but maybe saying more for the advertisements. Hopefully next time out, when we deal with Tales from Space Sector 2814, we'll get a better comic. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. But thanks again, everyone, for downloading listening, and hopefully next time we'll be coming back to a much better episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Until then, have a good week, everyone. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed, too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonsacore contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining your little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The opening music for today's show was Tegan and Sarah and their song Hell, off the album Sainthood. Of course, everything that Tegan and Sarah does is awesome. And yes, that's... That's a pun as well, I guess, or a palindrome or something, I don't know. Anyhow, if you'd like to buy Tegan and Sarah's album, Sainthood, or just buy the song Hell, which is a good choice because it is an awesome, awesome song, I would suggest that you go first to twotruefreaks.com, and then secondly, click the banner at twotruefreaks.com and go to amazon.com. When you click the banner at twotruefreaks.com and head off to Amazon, any purchase you make at amazon.com will send a little bit of money back to Two True Freaks. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but any purchase you make via the link at twotruefreaks.com will help shoot a little percentage of your purchase price back to the website. So anything you purchase from video games to music, DVDs, entertainment, exercise bikes, not saying that I need to get one because I'm a lazy bastard, but anything you buy at Amazon.com through the Two True Freaks link will help us out. So anytime you're thinking about buying things from Amazon.com, 
please be sure to use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com.